Here we go. Seems kind of loud. One, two, three. <laughs> we had to start talking. Like, and plus, you count down, not up. I know. Come on. Now. I know, but it was, it was the spur of the moment. I was trying to, I was trying to cue you up. Oh, well. But I, you know, it's the thought that counts, right? Well, I can't do it silently because <laughs> this isn't video, so I have to do it audibly. Right. Just to make the joke work, mm. which I don't know if I succeed, su- succeeded. You suck something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're off to a good start. Is that, that going to be today's episode? I guess so. <clears throat> if you can't hear, I'm still sick. I got sick again. I don't no, know No, but you just seem better, though. I know. Yeah. You just seem, I don't know. Last week you were, uh, didn't seem well, too I'm trying good. to be better because we've had, uh, well, both. Both our last episode titles were kind of negative. They were kind of on the negative side, so we have to pick a positive. And uh, oh, we do. We were, we were our feedback well, that, was that we we're a bit low energy this last episode. Well, perhaps, so I'm trying perhaps, really hard. Perhaps you can actually contribute to the title. No, that's your, efforts, well, that's your John. department. How's that my department? What is not my department? What is not my department? That's what? a good title. Yeah, there you go. There, I got one. Contributing. <laughs> I, I, titles has to be a joint effort, sir. Yeah. Well. We're in this together, man. I'm just going to write down everything you say as a title. Well, that doesn't count. <laughs> uh, since we're talking about the show in, in a meta way, yeah. um, I noticed on our, um, so we have a Twitter account, which... Uh, we do? Yeah, it's... Oh, is that thing still working? Good day, sir. P-D-C-S-T. The best Twitter handle ever. Well, it's because podcasts wouldn't fit. <laughs> I know. But anyway, every time uh, we have a show, I notice it says... Like last week, I said episode two thirty four of the Good Day Sir Show, a Salesforce podcast, is live. Yeah, was that how are we live? Because <clears throat> that's how Mister Dan Benjamin decided that would be worded. Oh, you don't get to change that? No. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. How is that not a variable? I don't know. Is that's not a, the way he set it up for at least for now? Is there not like a uh, Twitter dot properties file you can go edit no. and change, change no. what that is? He gave us one one little switch that says submit to Twitter. Oh my gosh. I'm like, okay, I'll click that. It saves me some point and clickies mm. so yeah it is what it is well john since you uh since you want to be more positive i, I say we start out with uh, homelessness oh, i was gonna start out with shirt force <laughs> okay let's start out with shirt force then we'll go to homelessness so uh, although i have to say <laughs> i feel really bad because when i saw that on the slack um because he posted it on slack and and the, the image was um let's see what if i can find it it, it was um shirt force and then right underneath it, because he kind of did this book cover type thing, and it says uh, Troublemaker. I literally thought it said, can I say it? I'm just going to say it. I literally thought it said Shit Force and then Troublemaker. Oh. And so I thought this was like one of those negative things or, you know, bashing <laughs> on Salesforce things. And I, was, I clicked on it. I was like, oh, that's Shirt Force. I do that every yeah. time. I read it too fast. But also, it confirmed I do need new glasses. Not new. I need glasses. Do you really? Yeah. Okay. I'm noticing, especially in low light, that I have, what is it, I'm farsighted when I can't see near. Oh, that's getting old. That's presbyopia. Yeah. So, like, if I, I'll literally kind of hold my phone a little bit closer, blurry, pull it away, clear, blurry, clear. That's what you. That's what we call presbyopia. That's what I call old man eyes. Yeah. No, I know it's old man <laughs> eyes. Um, so it's also it. called age-related farsightedness. Mm. That's what it is. It just means I can see the future, but I'm a little bit, little bit iffy on the current present. Yeah. I'm a futurist. Yeah. Um, do you have any shirt for shirts, John? You know, I should. I don't, but I should, especially the my code one, 
I do. I've got I've got uh, the happy soup one, and then my wife has got um, the deployment fish one. Oh yeah, I like that one. <laughs> that one I, I need one. to check out what the latest designs are. I haven't. Uh, There's some good ones on there. I think. Uh, let's see. The crud father. I think that was pretty funny. Crud father. Explain crud that father. to me. Crud. Yeah. Great update. Delete the crud father. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I get it. I guess. Uh, troublemaker as a jersey as instead of trailblazer as a hoodie. I like that one. I think that was pretty creative. Uh, SFDX in the, in the format of uh, ACDC. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. Do it. <laughs> do they have a website that we can? Uh, yeah, it's, mention it's shirtforce s h i r t f o r c e dot org. Spelling is important. <laughs> I don't know what happens if you misspell it, but uh, just just make sure it's a shirt. Yeah, spelling and, and pronunciation are uh, are important. Yes, and yeah. And uh, you can go and order a shirt. It's celebrating one year, so that's why I was bringing it up. Um, it's been a year. I remember. I remember when he launched this about a year ago, and he was he's you know he obviously crowdsourced you know a bunch of different shirt ideas and everything, and uh, I believe it all still goes to charity. Um, I don't know those those one off printing operations. Mm-hmm. They're they're expensive. I'm not sure if there's much money left to go to charity, but maybe there maybe there is. Yeah, I mean that, that'd be a question to ask him, but. Um, yeah, it's done through Teespring. Which... They, they should donate 1% of their profits. One, one, one. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of, speaking of that, let's get to the homeless. Um, I was reading, you know, there's just endless articles nowadays about homeless. I guess it's, I don't know if it's either, has it gotten way worse or is it just that there's a ton of media coverage? I think it's it gotten now? worse. Has it? Okay. I, th- I think so much of the tech has kind of gravitated and consolidated in these city environments. Would that be urban? urban environments yeah um that they've pushed they they've they've pushed things to a point where everything's really expensive and thus the people who normally there can't afford it i mean that's that's part of it i think i mean it's it's a you know obviously it's a very complex issue but it's and i and the reason i say like i don't know if it's sometimes the meat sometimes the media really over modulates on some of these things and it they make you know obviously they can make things I mean, the media can set the narrative, right? They want mm-hmm. they want it to seem like something's much worse than it is, or they want don't want you to not know about things. I mean, they just you know it's how they it's how what they decide to cover and not cover, and how much and everything else. And that's that's why I'm, I don't know if the media is just distorting this or not. But I mean, you know, you walk around San Francisco or Portland or Seattle, it is markedly worse, just anecdotally, if not you know. Yeah. But anyway, I was, I was I was reading some stuff, and then I was like, oh, I think I read an article about. I don't know if it was like about, about Wells Fargo. Oh, no, I think it was about Facebook to go to donate. And so I kind of did a little search. I'm like, okay, I want to find out who is, you know, because Benny is always like going around banging on people's doors saying, you know, you tech guy, you're a tech CEO. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to support my prop, not their prop and all that stuff, right? Telling mm-hmm. them what to do. Um, and I thought, well, I'm gonna, let's see what people are doing. So this is just, I think this is all pretty concentrated to uh, either the San Francisco Bay Area or um, some, some of them is, is actually all of California. But anyway, Wells Fargo is donating $1 billion. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are has or are in the process of. Uh, Facebook, $1 billion. Bezos donated $2 billion a year ago, and then $100 million again this past summer. And then Apple, this is new. This just, maybe, maybe this is what spurred my uh, little dive into this. But they are donating $2.5 billion to combat housing, uh, the housing crisis in California. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say that I read this whole thing, but I because I didn't, but here's how it breaks down. They have a nice big cheat sheet here. One billion towards affordable housing 
uh, I guess a affordable housing investment fund. One billion towards uh, first time home buyer mortgage assistance fund. Three hundred million of Apple owned and available land for affordable housing. One hundred fifty million for Bay Area housing fund, and then fifty million dollars to support vulnerable populations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, I think quite, you're that's right. quite an effort, like the, man. It's definitely a nuanced issue, but and I wonder what the breakdown is in percentage of those who just really can't afford anything but need to be close to the city because that's where the jobs are and end up living in their car or something like that and versus those that are on the streets because of mental health or drug addiction. And of course, the, the housing is the lower cost housing and mortgage assistance would help the first people I mentioned. The second half, that's a, that's a much harder problem to solve. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hope it works. It's It's a lot of money. I hope it's all going to the right place instead of lining contractors and politicians and everything else i hope most of it gets to where i mean you know there's, there's always a lot of that that's yeah. always going to be a thing unfortunately but well as it passes through each hand someone takes their cut and i just hope there's enough left after all that yeah anyway we're so we're so salesforce and, and benioff biased on this show that um i thought we would just talk for a second about um the fact that there is actually a ton being done from the private you know from the private sector to at least if nothing else throw a ton of money at this problem mm-hmm. of course that's probably that, you know that was a lot of the pushback on benioff's prop c was that hey we've we've already done this we've already thrown you know what's i don't know it's like i keep seeing the number 300 million i don't know if it was a one time or, or, or a year and there are people who are like you know that t- the problem is too much of that money ends up going to the wrong places to your to your point we don't want to we don't want to keep going down that path um you know, funneling it to these, and I guess certain sets of NGOs or whatever that always kind of get the, that you're not getting the result you need. So like more of the same thing is not what's needed. We need a different approach or a strategy or whatever. Um, but it looks like there's a lot of different approaches and strategies and different organizations and individuals doing different things. So I don't know. Hopefully, uh, hopefully by Dreamforce in like two weeks, um, they'll have it all fixed because. Yeah, no. I don't know. Should I take my, um, <laughs> should I take my, like my, I have, I have some nice boots that I bought forever ago. Um, when I was going up to uh, Crested Butte mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um, and they're just basically, they're, um, God, what's the brand? Mm-hmm. Sarah, Sarah informed me that they're actually like a, they became like a stylish, not stylish, but like in, in Vogue or whatever brand, like after I bought them, I had no idea. Oh, so you say, you're saying you set the trend. <laughs> Apparently I did. <laughs> I can't remember what they are. Now, but anyway. You liked them before they were cool. I use them nowadays like rain, but like anytime it's going to be super rainy, I'll wear, oh, you've probably seen those before. But anyway, they're, um, I think I might have to take those with me to San Francisco. What do you think? Oh, just so you can spritz them off. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they're pretty. Yeah, they're pretty. You know, you can wash them down. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a city where I, I have I don't to. Want, you don't want to take porous cloth shoes like these. No, right? which I've done, which is stupid. <laughs> I've had to throw shoes away, but it, it's it's one of those places that for someone like me who who has a tendency to to gross out about that stuff, I have to actively tell myself or ignore a lot of things because if I start thinking it through, I won't be able to touch anything in that city. Well, I don't um, touch anything anyway. No, I but I mean, there's just some things that. If I let myself, I will draw a line to every single object in that room of why I should not touch yeah. that thing. I mean, if you, a uh, <clears throat> little funny tidbit about me for people who I'll see at Dreamforce, like, you'll probably notice I, um, I go out of my way to not touch things. Like, I'll, um, instead of, I mean, if there's like a, a door that pushes open, I'll kind of like walk through it kind of backwards and push it open with my back or my butt mm. or whatever. Like, I just, I try not to touch things. As long as Mainly you do because, like a soft foot push, you're not one of those that just kicks the door open. No, no, I try not to damage things or whatever. But um, 
I'm just trying not to get a cold, basically. Or I don't have any, I, guess I need to go get a flu shot, don't I? Yes, you do. Oh, yeah. And that, that's, that's another thing about Dreamforce is it doesn't matter what you do. Inevitably, a good population of people come back from Dreamforce uh, nursing some kind of ailment. Whether it's flu or cold, allergies, or just, yeah. I don't know, jet lag. Right. Anyway. Okay. Um, hey, we had an interesting uh, conversation to break out in Slack about this whole testing private methods thing. Did you? I didn't know if you wanted to, or did you already? I, I don't know, actually, because I unfortunately was not able to follow this very closely. But did you uh, want to talk about that or weigh in on that at all? Yeah, I did. Because I, I do use uh, test visible. I think it's the annotation that we're talking about in that thread. Well, but I only use it for one scenario that I can recall, and that is... Um, when I'm using custom metadata types, and I basically have an object that abstracts accessing that data um, so that I can mock it, and I just, I just have a usually a map variable somewhere in it that I make test visible, or no, I have like a set method that modifies that variable, and it's test visible so that I can mock, I can set what the values need to be. Yeah, that's a little bit different. That's on a method, or is that on a, like a property or a field? It's a method within the class, okay. but I mean, I've tried to use it in other places, but I, I pretty much subscribe to the same thing I think that you do, which is that I should test my public methods, and those should, in turn, execute my private methods. And if they're not, then, then I either don't need it, or I did not set up my test data correctly, or my test fixtures correctly for it to cover that. It's actually a, a good way to, to just to make sure that you, you don't have like dead code paths and, th and things. Yeah. If you can't test all your private methods through, their, through a class's public interface then you're doing something wrong yeah and and only testing through public methods which is by the way the way your class is going to get used in right. production yeah uh then you know you need to change something um, yeah, yeah I, I mean i'm there are i think there are legitimate i mean there's a reason test visible is there and it's or is that what it's called test visible yeah yeah and it's because in on the not necessarily because of the apex language per se um it's more just about platforms peculiarities that you you know, you do sometimes need to 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 bust through that uh, to to test. A, I'm trying to think of an example. I, I can't think of one, but I've had to do it before, and I'm the guy who's like, "Don't test private methods. You know, don't mm -hmm. make them test visible. I'm not not don't test them, but just test them through a class's public interface. That's that's in my opinion the way you're you know you need to do it. I mean, because if yeah. you're going to, I mean, for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going if you're testing directly on private methods, then you're really breaking the whole encapsulation thing and you're really tightly coupling your tests to private methods which makes refactoring even harder than it already was on the salesforce platform why would you want to make it harder true you you can't change how you've implemented things because you're testing it as such a, you're you know you're not you're you know, kind of want to test it as a black box right not as like white box testing where you're going in and it's you know you want to test that a class is doing the right thing not how it's doing it that should be left you know that ideally i mean there's again there's 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 are times when all these all rules are meant to be broken right but mm -hmm. in general you want to be testing that a thing does things the way you want them to do it not not how it's doing them that should be you should be able to change in a, in a for the most part you should be able to change you know details about how something's done without breaking tests as long as you still get the right answer when you know when the test is finished then how the class did that is, um, it's not the it's not the tests, uh, it's not any of its business, and if and if the test is making that its business, then it needs to butt out a little bit, because you end up with fragile tests. 
Yeah. And and and, and when you only have a dozen or a hundred tests, it's no big deal. But when you have tens of hundreds of thousands of tests, and it turns out you can't do anything in your code base without breaking a bunch of tests, which are not true. F- it's not they're not breaking for the right reason. They shouldn't be breaking, right? If you would have done it right, you would you'd be able to test, you'd be able to refactor things, change things under the hood without 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 having a bunch of tests that show error that are red now. True. Yeah. So that's just my thought. And people have you know, uh, there were some interesting opinions in there, but I thought some people made some really good cases on you know why they did things the way they did. Yeah, I think so. Especially when you have objects that are based on salesforce data i mean there are just certain state there, there are certain states of the system that you can't put it into you right. can't get it into a certain state yeah. and so sometimes you just need a way to bypass it so that you can force it into a state that likely should never happen but should that one percent time happen, you want your code to be able to handle it and you want to be able to test that it does handle it um i have done weird things like created some function that did a divide by zero error just so i could force an exception because i wanted to test and make sure that my exception handler handled yes. it properly because it was a client facing exception yeah. And there's just no other way of doing it. Or if there is, it 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 would became a productivity thing. It became a pro versus a pro con versus thing. Like yep. sure I could set up this whole mocking framework that encapsulated thing in factories that that abstracted everything so that I can create a proper mock of my data and then have that full through. But now I've engineered this huge thing to test this one part of the system and it just isn't productivity. There's no ROI in doing that. Yeah. 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 So a test visible is just, you know, it's productivity things sometimes and I, and I have to do gross things where i'll have like um like say a class that that um you were talking about earlier maybe uses some data expects some data to be in a certain place in order sometimes in, in order to achieve the right kind of test coverage and and to, and really just execute um have the class execute you know certain paths um mm-hmm. i've i need to seed it with data that i normally can't and so um, or, or, or maybe even uh, situations that you, the Salesforce doesn't really let you do. Like you, you can't, for example, throw a, but you can't throw a lot of these built-in exceptions to test what your code does when those happen. I think you can now, but I think there's a like, time can you where throw you a lim- Can you throw a limit in- exception? Oh, no, you can't. I mean, like, yeah. there's just those things. Yeah. But I mean, not, and, and I have to go back and look at specific examples to justify them. But I mean, there's cases where I've, I'll have like a public static field on a class that I can set with some kind of state and the and the production code before it goes to like query the database or whatever it is it's doing it'll check to see if i've put anything in that public static field to use instead of going where it would normally go to get the data just so i can um you know achieve certain path, code paths that you just can't just because of limiting limitations in what how you can test on this platform mm. so i mean there's you know th- there's Times when you have to do gross things like use test visible and like use a public static field like that. It's just you need to know why. You need to know why you're doing it. It shouldn't be. It's not. Shouldn't be a normal thing. It's not a normal thing. It's not. You know, if your yeah. if your tests are littered with you testing with test visible, and if it's littered with you know is test uh, is test running or is running yeah uh, test dot is running uh, yeah and again like you have to use that sometimes mm-hmm. but it's only it's only in the cases where through good coding practices you can't get done what you need to get done right. All right. Um, well, actually, mm-hmm. I kind of want to hang off that and talk about something I discovered. Oh, um, John made a discovery. I made a discovery. Well, I didn't make the discovery. Bad code made the discovery. Here's the thing about bad code and the situation I'm in. I'm learning a ton, just of things in general. Um, just reading someone's bad code not only kind of reinforces the reasons I do the things that I do and why I do them, because obviously it leads to 
poor maintenance of the system and all those kind of things. But people get really creative. I don't know if it's out of inexperience or just their own kind of habits from different languages that they, that they do in code. And so I'm learning all these different things. Like, I didn't know you could do that. That's ugly. You shouldn't do that. But I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. Um, but here's one thing I found. And I don't know if this is a bug in the system or what. But I found in the code, they were accessing a private inner class. And it was exposed publicly. Okay. <laughs> so normally, and I, did, I was like, how is that working? That should not work. Because mm -hmm. I've seen it where it doesn't, comp it doesn't error on compile if you have a function okay let's set let's set it up i have a I have a class and i have an inner class we'll call it my class is the parent class <laughs> and we'll call the inner class of course. of course we'll call the inner class my private okay okay and i have a method on there set that on the my class that says get my private and you wish my, my the class my private is a private inner class is that a title candidate my private my private all right let's go for it <laughs> now if i if I save the class, everything's fine. doesn't give me any compile errors. But if I run it, if I call that method, I get an error that says the, the type is not accessible to me because it's private. However, if it's in a collection, if I do list my private and I have a method called get my privates, oh. same mm. thing happens because I can't create a list of my privates because it's private. However... <laughs> What I can do is I can Sorry. wrap the method call with a JSON serialize. So I can say JSON serialize, get my privates. It returns the data and I can show it in the debug and I can see all the data that's in there. Um, so I don't know if that's a bug in the language or some gap in the language or what, but I saw this in the code because I was trying to write a test to cover this. I'm like, how is that working? That's private. Yeah. And it, it was there. Yeah, uh, there's there's some interesting things, and um, in fact, you mentioned lists. I mean, there are interesting things around just the, I guess the collections in Salesforce in general, um, particularly that how they differ from Java. Like in Java, lists are not well, like collections are not um, covariant on their type, whereas in in Apex they are. I think uh, so. You can do things like you can assign a list of um, gosh, I'm thinking, I mean, you could sign a, like, a list of accounts to a list of S objects. And in Java, you can't do that. Uh, because you can add any subclass of an S object to a list of S objects. Right? right. Um, but someone still has a reference to that as a list of account. So if you can put contacts in there, then someone goes to pull out an account, uh, you know, thinking that it's an account because they have a reference to a list of account. Now you've got bugs. And so Salesforce lets, it's much more loosey-goosey on the covariance of, of collections. And so I've, and I see people using that for interesting things. I'm, I'm just like, okay, I see that you could, it's interesting that you can do that, you know? <laughs> and like, just like that, yeah. it's like, but first of all, that's, um, sometimes it creates code that's too cute for its own good, you know? And yeah. it's like, there should be a more straightforward way that's less magic-y and cute and taking advantage of what are probably unintentional features of the platform mm -hmm. and may be considered bugs. And if you, we had access to Salesforce's internal bug tracker, you may see it on that list. And if they ever fix that bug, well, you know, of course, yeah, I guess you can keep your code at the, the old API version or whatever, and that theoretically should work. Although sometimes that, sometimes even that breaks. So it's like, yeah. you know, I'm always careful not to take advantage of things that I think are probably unintentional features of the platform because sometimes those go away. Yeah, this definitely seems like an unintentional feature, but and it, I don't know if, if it happened intentionally, if they purposely 
wrapped this JSON serialized around it just to get past it because they didn't know, or if they just for some reason fat fingered it private when they went meant to make it public. But um, yeah, it just it just just one of those things that I found that I thought was really interesting, and I'm finding all kinds of things like that that I just. Like I said, I, I I have to not touch it because I'm working on unit testing right now. I'm working on a way to validate that when I refactor, things are still green. Yep. Um. So I can't be modifying my code, but I'm making all sorts of to-dos. My to-do list is astronomical at this point. I'm <laughs> like, to-do, this is bad. To-do, this is, this will cross, this is, you know, I'm just making notes everywhere. Um. I've even seen ternary, yeah, they're called ternary operations, right? Yep. Ternary I hate operators. When, I hate when people use stack those when they, they start one operation, you get a value, and then they start another. Oh, they're nested. Op- yeah, they're. Nested. Oh, yeah. To me, that's just like okay. That's yeah. I don't. That's that breaks my rules. That's against the rules. <laughs> it's just, just horrible. It's ugly. I mean, how can you look at that and just not go, "This is gross"? But people do it. I don't understand it. I don't understand how people can write this code and be okay with it. Then this is this is why custom code gets a gets a bad rap and why people don't want any code and why they want to do everything with point and click tools because people write crappy code that you can't read it's re, it's write only code it is yeah very much so um yeah those people they just need they need some uh some mentoring yeah <laughs> although as much as i complain i mean it's it's fun it's fun it is fun i mean it's tedious but it is fun I mean, I'm, my wow. brain wow. is constantly being challenged with what the hell is going on? What were they thinking? How do I validate this result? Because it's it's got so much going on. How do I get it into this block? And what were they thinking? Or what? How do I set up set up this data? I mean, it's definitely a huge learning experience. And um, you know, if you, it's one of those things that that makes me a better programmer, I guess. You know, diversity makes you better. You know, you you learn through diversity, or what, I don't know what the saying is, but either way, oh, that's very woke of you, John. It is. You know. <laughs> if I'm sitting here writing, re- reading, and writing clean code all the time, I'm not growing. I'm not learning. I'm just going through the motions. So you're saying you need to write crappy code in order to become no, a I'm better saying, developer? No, I'm saying I'm saying everyone <laughs> at some I'm not point. I'm sure about career, your logic there. <laughs> I'm I'm saying that it's somewhere at some point in the career, someone has either looked at their old code. And have learned how they've grown from that, or they've looked at other people's code and have grown from that. It's just, it's just one of those things where I think you learn more by making mistakes than you do by being perfect all the time. Yeah, I guess maybe just so you know, you know, where the dragons lie. Maybe I guess. I mean, everything I think about when I think about my experience, when I say my experience, or when I talk about not doing something a certain way, it's because probably I did it that way and it bit me in the ass. Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. Don't right. do that. It's, 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 not, it's usually not, oh, I read in a book that you shouldn't do that. It's more the, the experience that I really hang on is the stuff where I've screwed something up. Yeah. No, but back to the Turner, you know, nesting ternary operators. That, that goes back to, and you were talking about that static analysis tool. I'm curious if you have an update on that. But because um, some of those, um, you, one of the most basic things that all these analyzers do is they, they'll measure the, what's called cyclomatic complexity of, of methods, mm-hmm. which is basically just a, fancy way of saying you know how complex is your method how much you know logic and uh and looping and and um maybe recursion and different stuff do you have in there because you generally want low scores i mean you know assuming that you are sane and you've you know you've try to follow a guidance of having you know relatively simple methods and when you need more logic you you factor that out into other methods yeah you compose you know you compose you know, your logic of, of methods. 
and the ternary nesting ternary is the same thing. It's like, okay, you need an, you need some kind of method here. You need to factor out some of that functionality into some, yeah, um, some other unit, or even just a simple if else statement. It's it wasn't even it doesn't it it wasn't meant to do that. Yeah. Um, worse than that is when people do function calls within ternaries. I, I always make those, you know, just variable assignments. Mm-hmm. I don't use them to, to execute different blocks of code based on that. It just, it just isn't, you can do it. Yeah. They're, it's just not um, clean. Immutable functions that just, yeah, they, yeah. Um, they're, they're just returning a Boolean or whatever to. No, not even functions. Uh, I mean, it, it's only variable references or literals that I use it with. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't do the start of the ternary with, you know, oh, true then run this method uh, you know colon then run this method you know that just i'll even create methods like to use for the for the test portion of a of a ternary operator that just encapsulates like uh you know if account dot name is less than this many characters and this and that and this other thing or this and this i'll fact that into a it's a whole separate private method called you know should blah 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 it's just like it's yeah. a it's a it's a great english phrase for what that's doing and it just encapsulates that bull crap and gets it out of your face so that you can stay focused on what's happening around this ternary operator and what's going on not like all the logic that underpins all that like yeah you don't need to worry you don't need to worry your your little brain with all that stuff yeah that's kind of my hanging things that i always say when i talk about clean code is that to me it's like reading a story and you're telling someone how you went to the store and you don't need to tell them that you walked down 30 stairs and then took a left and then opened put your hand on the handle and turn the knob and open the door. Just say, I went, went out, went downstairs, went to the store, went down to the store, down the block. You know, you don't give them all that extra information, but if they wanted it, they could inquire about it. And so when I talk about clean code, I always say, you know, that's how my methods are written is that I tell the story, I have everything, but all the details, like, you know, how I got that piece of data from the code, that's in its own method. Go and query this data and bring it back or go give me a, a map of this. I, have those in their own functions. That way, the method itself is clean, clean enough. You can say, okay, I got the data I needed, and now I'm running this logic. I'm not reading through how I got all the data, how I manipulated the data, and then got to the logic. Of course, there are extremes to this. Um, a lot of um, this is popular in the Ruby community. You know, things like methods should, no, no method should be longer than three lines. That's a bit extreme. Yeah. Yeah. But it can force you to be creative, just like Salesforce's governor limits have forced us to be creative and efficient. I mean, I, had no bones about queries and loops until Salesforce. It just wasn't something I worried about. Well, because it wasn't worth your time. Yeah. I mean, the performance of your application will let you know if it's worth your time to go and, that's true. and, and work on something. Yeah. It's just a whole premature optimization. It, it, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And, but in, of course, you know, a lot of these things on the Salesforce platform, because, you know, you, it's not just you that's taxing a computer. You know, there's a thousand of thousand companies taxing this computer. And so Salesforce wants to, Absolutely minimize everything that all you guys are doing because it all sums up. Mm-hmm. And so you have to care. You have to premature optimize everything with Salesforce. Yeah. So there's that. There's that. Uh, uh, Azure was in the news. Microsoft with Azure. Microsoft was in the news a couple times. They just uh, had a another blockbuster quarter, man. They just, they make a lot of money. And they're a big company. Microsoft's doing well. I'm, yeah. I, I mean, the, they are, I am this close, and you can't see it, but I'm this close to kind of jumping back on the Windows bandwagon no, here. That's to, so I think Microsoft is firing on all cylinders, both financially, operationally, and technologically. Um, it's really interesting. They're doing a lot of cool stuff. I even like some of their hardware, different things. But mm-hmm. one thing that just still is a huge problem for me is Windows. 
I, I I've grown to like Windows 10 quite a bit. Mm. Um, I don't I I I still prefer OS 10, but the Mac hardware is especially this one that I have now with all the problems. And this is oh, yeah. this is an older version. Mm. And then hearing about some of the issues people have had with some of the newer versions of the, of the Pro, I'm really going. I don't know if this is worth the money anymore. Like their quality, their build quality, and their their well compare. You, you need to compare apples to apples hardware specs, and you'll see that you know you're not going to get like some kind of discount by buying Microsoft. Hey, I'm not looking for a discount. Okay. I'm just looking to get quality. What for, you're paying for, for paying for? Yeah, yeah I, I agree. For. Yeah, and then man, this this generation of lap, of Apple laptops has been real stain on their on their track record because they, mm. you know, overall had a pretty good track record. This Mac this MacBook Pro MacBook family line was it was pretty you know pretty good reputation. Well, my last one I had for. God, years. Yeah. I even extended yep. it with a SSD drive and mm-hmm. really hung on to it until the last minute. Yes. And then I got this one. No, there's no, and I, I don't dispute that at all. I mean, I've complained many times about different aspects of, of this My laptop. speakers pop. This touch bar does nothing for me. The key, the keys obviously are an issue. I've got all that. Plus I have this, my, you know, my screen pops, makes the popping noise when it's warming up. <laughs> yeah. You don't have that. No, I don't have that. Um, you didn't pay for that extra feature, did you? No, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it was an add-on. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean the 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 design of the bezel and the aluminum framing I'd really like and I like the trackpad so it's not like it's a complete failure to me it's just for what I paid for it because I paid a lot for it mm-hmm. and I should still be happy with it but even when I first got it that was noticing a few issues with it and it just yeah I don't know but you know that, I mean that just the, oh the comparing the OSs I mean I just um, yeah I mean OS ten still one of my favorites I, and i still like the the app store better than than the windows store um i like the apps better on here from different vendors it's there's still a lot going on from an os perspective yeah. that i really like and i do too. i mean i just i just prefer at this point i still prefer mac os to windows in terms of you know the really the underpinnings of the os the architecture of the os all the way up to and especially the the ui and the model and it's weird because i um Jody M the other day said that, you know, I think the thing that was a deal breaker for her with Max was the window management model. And I thought to myself, that's, and, and now it's, you know, they've added some window management features because um, it hasn't been a real feature rich window management environment. Mm-hmm. But the fundamental model, I think, is, is actually so much better than Windows, Windows model. Uh, and when, by Windows, Windows is she talking about just how you tile applications on the screen? I don't know. Or? And and one sometimes when I see people say that, what they're talking about is like people get frustrated that um, when they click like the you know the so you know it's got the stop the three stoplights on the mm-hmm. top left of every of every window, yeah. and they click the green, and they if you come from a Windows world, you think this should maximize, this should take up the whole window, and and it can't you can't see anything else. That's not what that green button does. You know what the green is? Mm-hmm. No. It, the green is fit this window to its contents. Oh. And so sometimes it sometimes it makes it would make it a little bigger. Sometimes it, make, it would actually make it a little bit smaller. People are like, what the hell? Well, you know, I've always seen it. Uh, they the think reason I can't answer that question is because it's it's up to the implementation of the of the application. It is. It is. Some do fully maximize like, and hide your toolbar. Like Chrome. But, Chrome. Right. Chrome. Chrome does ma- that. Yep. Now go to an Adobe product and it'll it'll maximize to the width of the screen. Yes. But it'll leave that bottom bar where your toolbar is, or wherever your toolbar is, it'll leave that space. It won't take that over. And they, and they really, from uh, I'm assuming this goes back to, um, you know, the whole Mac, Mac OS or what was it called OS OS 10, really? I guess um, the way they designed it. Uh, it's 
it's not really optimized. I mean, they it's not optimized for full screen. Like on, on Windows, it's just so common. You just hit the maximize button. People just hit the maximize yeah. button because they want to work in that app. And that's and in Macs are have always been optimized for a multi win a multi window environment. Uh, Macs have always you know tended to have larger screens, especially when screens were really expensive back in the day. And and it and you know things like interacting between apps between different windows is has always worked better in my in my opinion on Macs. Uh, drag and drop has always been implemented so much, but the details around drag and drop are mm. so much more correct on Mac than they are in Windows. Now I'm comparing to Windows back probably. Again, I haven't tested what's new on Windows 10. I haven't, I don't use it really that much, but I mean, I still use it some when I have to. I mean, I've been, I had to write a, a thing for Windows because I needed to write some integration stuff that ran on Windows and it was, uh, it needed to be like a, a batch script that did stuff and all the stuff. And I had, you know, so I'm in Windows, I'm, I'm using it. I just, of course, I'm also using it in a VM, which I don't think is a real fair yeah. test, especially because I'm using VirtualBox, which is a fairly crusty, mm. um, you know, VM software or whatever those are called. Yeah, I'm using VMware and it's it's good, but yeah, I have to allocate quite a better. bit quite a bit of memory to it. But yeah. even then the animations can be a little bit iffy on mm. some of the things. So okay. I try not to ping it too much for that. Now if I had dedicated dedicated hardware and I was seeing that, I would definitely speak up. But you know, there's a few artifacts and things that I noticed that I don't care for, but that's yeah. I just chalk that up to the VM. But anyway, like I said, I think when some people complain about whether it's Windows or Mac that it's not the the windowing, the window management's not working the way they think it is. It should, and it's real frustrating because they don't understand how it, it was designed to work. I mean, it's you, and you can you can decide that oh, I just I understand how OS ten or Mac OS windowing works. I just don't like it. That's fine. And mm -hmm. if you like you know Windows, because Windows has a decidedly different model of how everything works, yeah. of how Windows work and how you should how it thinks you should use Windows. And and if you if you understand it and you still don't like it, that's fine. I just find that a lot of people who say, oh, this is so frustrating. I can't get to it. And it's like, well, you don't, let me, can I stop for five minutes and explain to you how windowing works? And then play with it, knowing that, use it for a while and mm -hmm. see if it grows on you and if you can, and see if you actually like that model once you understand it better. Right. So. I, I like anyway. the spaces feature. I mean, I think that's great because I pretty much work full screen. I never use the, spaces. Oh, I and use I, it. And like I think crazy. it's, I think maybe I'm, what I'm talking about, like, I feel like I don't understand spaces enough. And so I just never, I never learned it well enough. And so I don't, I just don't use it. It's, I see people like you use it. I'm like, oh, wow. You're just like, you're flying around, like doing all kinds of crazy crap. I'm like, I can't do any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I just, I don't know if my brain doesn't, like, I don't want different, I don't need different like, desktops like that. I'd rather just every, I want, I'd rather just say everything be on one desktop and I will alt tab my ass off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Anyway, um, okay, I wanted to say something about Azure because uh, this is cool. So Azure, they've, they've been building this thing called Azure Stack. Don't know all that much about it, but it's basically um, had to do with being able to use Azure and it's like all its, its control plane and whatever the fabric, whatever they call it, and all its management tools hmm. to control servers that aren't necessarily in Azure. And so there was some kind of private cloud stuff going on. Well, they really seems to seem to have like blown that out of the water in terms of um, they've got this new thing called Azure Arc, which is really taking it to the next level. And it seems to be better than because, you know, AWS has the similar thing. Google's got a similar thing. But I mean, what Azure's got right now, what they've announced seems to be really killer. Um, so let me let me just read this so I get it, some of it right. But OK, so with Azure Arc, Microsoft has expanded the support for ARM, which is their Azure Resource Manager to resources running outside of Azure. So like a physical server 
running in a data center looks like a compute resource in the eyes of the fabric controller. Even VMs running on top of VMware vSphere, Amazon EC2, and Google Compute Engine can be registered with the Amazon Resource Manager. Any Windows or Linux server, even those running behind a firewall and proxy, can be registered with ARM. The external VMs run a similar software agent like that run that like the ones that run inside Azure VMs. Mm. So basically, I mean, you can use you can use you know your all your Azure infrastructure to run not just all your Azure resources now, but they can be almost they can be in any of the other clouds for the most part. They can be on your pri- they can be in your private uh, data center or cloud. Um, and so it's they're really I mean because you know hybrid. Hybrid cloud has been this thing that, and, you know, VMware has been really big into it. And then, you know, AWS and Google have, they've, they've talked some talk, but it's, I don't think it's been where companies have needed it. Cause I mean, all these big companies, they still have tons of their own data centers or in-house stuff. Mm-hmm. And they definitely, I mean, the hybrid story is hugely important to them. And yeah. it's just part of transitioning to the cloud. I mean, you're not just going to all of a sudden be like, okay, you know, our, the $250 million we have in data centers, we're just, we're going to cut over. No, you don't, you don't do that. Right. I mean, you've got, because there's, you know, they're running applications that they have no idea if they can run in the cloud and they've lost the source code to them. And there's just like, there's just like so many reasons why there's, I mean, hybrid's going to be a huge deal. And it's really where a lot of, uh, a lot of these, you know, computing companies realize there's, there's money to be made there. I mean, it's, uh, you know, whoever can solve those problems well is going to make a lot of money from these, from these well, companies. There, and there's some industries that just, there's certain parts of their infrastructure that they won't trust to another vendor and i wonder if maybe this this whole thing is is what contributed to microsoft winning that government contract you got to think they have a very much a hybrid model there well yeah because if you so yeah so the jedi thing so they chose yeah. they chose microsoft but part of it might have been they knew this was coming and which means that they can have resources in plenty of the other um clouds mm-hmm. cloud providers yeah can i get get it all and you know part of this so i mean part of this is uh this amazon art can also um, run Kubernetes clusters in in other clouds. Amazon Arc or Microsoft Arc? Sorry, what I say? It's, they call it Azure Arc. I don't, okay, okay, yeah, I'm probably mixing. I thought, it said, I thought you said Amazon. Maybe you said Azure. Uh, but it can also it works with. Uh, they can do databases, so you can. And it's not just it's not just running the database. It's the automatic updates, the patching, security audits. Like because with Azure, you know, there's there's tooling for all that. I mean, you can set policies for all these things, and you can say that you know, you know, the, the database servers. Okay, now you know, now they all need to be on this certain patch level and all these different things. And it just, all this tooling goes and does it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's easier when it's all inside your own Azure data center. But now Microsoft can do that if the database server is in AWS or anywhere else. Um, but right now they're, it looks like they're just supporting SQL Server and Postgres, but I'm sure they'll be adding more. Uh, let's see what else. Yeah, their whole like AW, or Azure Security Center, so that yeah, you can ensure compliance of all resources registered with Azure Arc, irrespective of where they're deployed. So you can you can quickly patch operating systems in VMs as soon as vulnerabilities are found. You can you know, all your encryption policies and um, all that kind of stuff. It's just it's all push button, and again, no matter where they're running, it's uh, it works. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. People are saying. I mean, I was reading just comments because I <clears throat> I don't do anything with Azure. Um, I have no. I mean, really. The, I mean, the only I'm I'm way more biased towards AWS. That's still just my go-to because I know it. So I have to. I'm definitely everything. Everything Azure's or you know Microsoft's doing with Azure. It all it all seems like they're doing the right things and they're really pushing. They're pushing on the envelope in ways that the other people aren't. So it's all you know. It makes me. I get. I'm getting a little uh, cloud envy here. Yeah, you're turning into a bit of a dinosaur. They're going to leave you behind on that. I mean, it's not a dinosaur. It's just like, you know, it's like, man, that grass is pretty green over there on the, in the Microsoft yeah, land. I'm just saying. That's going to be the new future. Just like, 
You're, you're so focused on Amazon and forgot that Microsoft was a player. But this, this is an interesting, uh, I guess, conclusion here. And so this guy, whoever wrote this, is saying, you know, so with, with support for VMs and Kubernetes, Microsoft is going to simplify application modernization and digital transfer with Azure Arc, Azure Arc without much trade-off. There's really, I mean, that's the thing that this article goes into. I'll put it in the, we'll have it in the show notes, but really describes how with these other solutions that have been out there before, like you had to make trade-offs in order to do something like this. And now they've just, they've solved so many of that stuff that they've just really eliminated lots of the trade-offs. It also goes into detail, like they, this uh, article compares Agile Arc to what AWS calls Outposts, mm-hmm. which is a similar thing they have, and then Google Anthos. And it just, it sounds like it's really just, it's leading them both. It's just, it's really a great option, it sounds like. Well, now I wish I had more time in the day. I'd love to go and... Yeah. I need to do some, that, but... I need to do some... Um, one of these like one of these video one of these like online learning things just with Azure to just to get familiar. I mean, I'd like to do some hands-on stuff. I just, I mean, I you know been, we need to start so up I, our, I, our I, good days or lunch and learns back. We up. should, yeah, that'd be fun. You know? um, no, I have I, I have done some stuff with Azure. I I know how to log into Azure and do Active Directory stuff so I can set up people's SSO. I do that all the time. Yep, that's the main thing I've done on Azure. Yeah. <laughs> um, as far as building stuff, it was mainly Heroku, and well, of course, I've got this this engine quote-unquote engine <laughs> on, oh, oh, on amazon right. yeah. that i have to deal with that's bare metal though i'm trying to get rid of yeah. that thing though yeah, that's bare metal yeah. yeah anyway yeah i mean microsoft man i'm telling you there i wish i had bought stock about as soon as as soon as uh, what's his face left oh uh i can't remember his name now bomber 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 yes as soon as he left are you trying to find developers? Developers, developers, <laughs> developers, 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 developers. Well, you gotta get your voice. I, know, I need to. I'm gonna put some water in my pit so I can get the full. You know, that's not what. That's not what does it for me. It's it's when his voice cracks that it does yeah. it for me. Yeah. That, that's what. That's what seals it. Dude, another great video, and I'm. It's one that everyone's seen. But when he, I think it was at the Windows 95 release when he was trying to pump up the crowd. <laughs> and he's just running around dancing. Have you seen that one? Oh wow! You gotta, you gotta yeah. check that out. Let me see. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna make a note to put that in the show notes. Uh, okay. Am I at that age where I can't pump up a crowd without looking? Oh, you're <laughs> far beyond that age, John. You could never, you never could have pumped up. No, a crowd. I'm just saying. I mean, what 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 age do you kind of go? Yeah, I shouldn't be doing this. I don't think it's an age thing. I no? don't. I really don't. No. It's just, just a, some people have it. Some people don't. Yeah. Like, I, there's no way I could do that. Hey, uh, I've got I've got some good news. This is this is for people who, uh, well, really, uh, most near in, in the fu- to the future here. God, why can't I words? Wow. Um, if you're going to Dreamforce, we should have all new Good Day Sir stickers. Oh yeah, yeah, got stickers. So this, they went to the printer Monday, and so I sh- I'm expecting them this week. Oh, nice. So if you see me, or if you're Dreamforce, find me and uh, get your sticker. Jeremy got bigger stickers. This is a little bigger. Yeah, these are like three, what was it? What did we pick? Three and a half inches? Yeah. So a nice size. I, I have to see them. I We had sticker I envy. Like we the, wanted bigger stickers. No, no, no. You wanted bigger <laughs> stickers. You're trying to compensate for something. Actually, I was fine actually, with the two no, by two. No. Actually, remember what the honest reason was we picked the three and a half inch stickers. 
the price. Yes, they were the cheapest. I don't know why, but the small. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your version of cheap is like my wife's version of cheap. Like I had a coupon, I got fifteen percent off. Uh, whatever. We had to buy a thousand of these things <laughs> to get the price to do. Well, no, I mean, well, first of all, for the bulk sectors, I mean, usually the, for the minimum for any of those was either a thousand or like seven fifty. Yeah, and it's just not worth it to do. Well, I could have gotten them that. for. I could have gotten a smaller print size, but it would have been basically a dollar and change for each sticker. Oh my god, that's insane. Which is about what our coasters cost, which is why there's only <laughs> that's what ten of them ever printed, yeah. and I don't think we've ever given those were just like hand silk screen printed because it's it's uh, it's it's not worth going through the effort of like making a plate to do like a big run or anything. So like uh, yeah. you're, you're basically paying for someone to hand 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 oh, paint some. Speaking coasters. of stickers, we should have a scavenger hunt because I did leave behind in San Francisco a couple years ago. The last Dreamforce I went to, I think it was Dreamforce, or it might have been TDX. Either way, I think it was TDX. Uh, there's two bars where I left a sticker. What do you mean you left a sticker? I put a sticker on the wall, and, and there's another one on a pole. Oh, to see if you can find them. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember which places it was? Uh, one of them... Don't say it. Don't say it. But oh, I'm, that's right. I can't. Yeah. I'm just wondering <laughs> if you remember. Well, one of them was on a wall, so look for it on a wall. And the other one was on a pole, so look for it at a pole in one of these bars. <clears throat> so... All right. Um, what else? Hey, um, you're, you're doing more. You're, you're, you're building your Git skills. Um, I'm sure oh, more of these days, suck. right? Well, but you've been, you've, you've been, I, I know you've had, you've gotten better. Yeah. You've, you've been, it's doing, not like I didn't know Git. It's just, I wasn't using it enough for, for me to be proficient at it. And you're, and you were right. And when you're, when you're, I mean, totally how many times did I, did I text you going, I screwed up my Git yeah, <laughs> repo again. I screwed yeah. up again. But yeah, I mean, for the longest time, you just work by yourself, and you know, yeah. just if you're not if you're not doing a bunch of branching and stuff, then yeah. and merging, then you there's this all whole level of get skills that you don't even really yeah. develop. But anyway, um, I didn't know this. I can't remember why this came up. Oh, and I think I was looking at help. I was doing something with a get help, and it mentioned something about. Um, the, I guess this is probably and sometime in the summertime they added a couple of new commands. One called switch. The one called restore, hmm. and they are, it's not new functionality. It's just um, better words for things. So Do before- they encapsulate a couple of functions? Yeah, and they, they encapsulate some of the checkout functions. So the problem with okay. checkout is it does so many different things that are really kind of unrelated. Sometimes it switches which branch you're on. Sometimes it just pulls a file out of a certain, out of a certain other, uh, you know, tree or branch of some sort sometimes it um it uh you can unstage file i mean just do, there's too many the problem is there's too many things you can do for the for one name which is checkout mm. it's like so so check um let's see switch um actually it's just an it's a it switches branches you can say like get switch or or whatever and then restore um i think that unstages let's see uh, get restore restore changes from a given commit. So you can say, like, if you want to get a file from a previous commit, you can just say, "Hey, get restore," and you probably probably give the commit the hash or mm -hmm. uh, or any kind of tree ish thing, and then uh, and then you probably can list like you know one or more files, and so to oh, cool. pull files from those. So you can you can you can do those with checkout, which we all, that's what we've always done. But it's just I, for new people learning Git, you know, it's just one of those things that I'm sure that checkout is incredibly confusing because it does, it does too, way too many things. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot of params there to to mess with. with I that. will probably not be able to ever use these new commands because I'm just trained on checkout. I'll keep using checkout, but for uh, those of you, I don't know that still I use checkout yet. all that often anymore. Well, I haven't been lately because I've been stuck on one branch, but they check out constantly. Yeah, but I mean, like it, IntelliJ has these has the little drop down. Sometimes I'll just go and click on it because mm. it's faster than me typing. Um, or I have another separate app that I use for my repo, and I'll 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 sometimes go into it just to kind of view my tree. What do you use? Uh, tower. Okay. And so I'll go into Tower just to view my tree, and I'm already there, so I'll just double click on it and have it switch my branch for me. So there's like I don't always get the opportunity to do it. Um, but obviously I'm doing my get pushes and everything through terminal. But um, even my my uh, commit. Yeah, my commits, I used the IntelliJ tool because uh, I kept screwing them up. It, there's, it, I, I told you this. I One of the things I kept screwing up is that if I don't remember to put a message in my commit, my terminal in IntelliJ gets all screwy, and I can't recover from it. That is so weird. I, I, I probably should just be using the regular terminal, but it's right there, and I just use it as a as a productivity thing. But if I forget, and I always do, forget to put a message, then... Then I you know what it up. you need to look at maybe your default editor said that said something different. I mean, if I do git commit and don't provide a message, it just opens up Vim and uh, I, mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it, it's just it, putting, it attempts to give I you a know message. What's happening? It's putting you in Vim and you don't know Vim at all. So you're like, oh my god, what's no, happened here? I don't get a cursor. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it does, but I don't get a cursor. No, you have to hit I to go in interactive mode. Oh, you just don't know Vim. Freak, you don't. just don't know Vim. That's your, <laughs> there's nothing wrong. <laughs> Haven't you seen the jokes? It's like. What's, you know, that'll be like this, this string of characters exit and a bunch of things and cuss words, whatever. And people are like, well, hey, guess what this is? And you're like, what? Like, that's uh, like a, a, a Vim novice trying to get just exit Vim. It's like, how do you even get out of this thing? <laughs> that's me then. That's exactly me. That yeah. is probably, I'm going to try it. No, just hit I, go in interactive mode. Okay. Or, you know, is it input mode? What does I stand for? I can't remember. I think it's input. But anyway, that's when you actually edit the document. But then you have to hit escape to get out of it. It's because it's Vim is modal. So you, get, you have to get out of input mode and then you can do commands like colon w to to write which is save and then or colon q to quit oh crap now i got something else to learn <laughs> you know there's like there's really like four things about vim that you need to know one okay. is how to hit yeah, one's how to get in, into interactive mode so you can actually curse around and type stuff and change stuff mm -hmm. and then escape to get out of input mode but why is commit the only thing that does that to me is that the only thing that, that pops so into commit Vim? opens will open if you don't provide a message will open whatever your default like registered editor is and mm. I think by default that's it opens whatever your ed registered editor is and by default on the Mac or most systems I think that's Vim. Okay. Do you think you can go into your Git settings and change that? If you wanted Didn't to they change, you that? could get that. To, you could have it open Sublime or VS Code or whatever. Yeah, I thought the latest update to Mac OS changed your default uh, terminal to something I, else to SH. Oh, no, it's uh, no, uh, Z, Z, Z H, yeah. Uh, I've run that forever in my son. I don't even notice the difference. Uh, I notice a slight difference, but I like it, so. I mean, it's basically, it's, I almost considered Z's shell to be a superset of, of Bash. Like, I mean, almost all Bash stuff runs just fine. Which I think is why they're... But Z shell has lots of nice yeah. things. Well, that's funny. That is funny that that's all that he's doing. <laughs> Such a nerd. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, hey, I read this thing about how, um, I don't know, I can't remember where this came up, but Einstein Analytics got ported to Go, Golang. Oh, nice. Yeah, I guess it was all in Python. Okay. But... I wasn't in Apex again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you should build everything, anything you want right on the platform, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, they, they apparently started this 
conversion process in 2014. And the first thing I thought was, wow, Einstein Analytics was a, a thing in 2014? That was five years ago. Well, it was an acquisition at first, wasn't it? No, I don't think so. Oh, wait a minute. Analytics? Yeah, it was. That was Wave. I thought they built that. Oh, uh, maybe you're right. I think that was Homegrown. Okay. Uh, let's see. I have to tell someone where their iPad is. Hang on. In the bathroom. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> Isn't that where you keep your iPad? No, anyway. So they saw the, mag- the magazine rack in the bathroom? I don't have an iPad. So they started in 2014, and they finished. They said they finished in 2017, but it didn't really go live until 2018. So it's a... Again, when people, your bosses, your clients, whatever, like, what? That's going to take two weeks? It's like, this thing took three, three to four years. You know, things take time. Yeah. The, the, the reason they did this is because they, according to the, this article, was that Python has loose typing, which is, quote, less great for an enterprise-scale application that some customers were paying millions of dollars for, first of all. People were paying millions of dollars for Einstein, for, for Wave in 2014. Maybe they were. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything else about that. Nope. Um, but also, it's weird. You would convert your, you would port your underlying language that customers don't even see uh, from Python to Go just so you can say it's got um, strong typing because people are paying millions. Uh, there's just such a weird reason. Like, anyway, uh, and then also, um, they saw a vast dependency nightmare on the horizon as deploying the right Python libraries, versions, and files would become a chore. Hmm. Yeah, that is, that is kind of a thing with Python. Getting all, the, getting all your pips and your whatever. <laughs> and I, I think it's funny coming from you that wants a, a, a package manager in, in Apex. I just... uh, do you know what it would be like if you didn't have packaging in Python? It would, it would be like Apex. It would be a total <laughs> freaking mess with everyone copying and pasting code into their code base from GitHub and everywhere else and having who knows what version, incompatible versions, buggy security vulnerabilities and everything else because there's no management whatsoever. Yes, I would much... You, you need something for that. We've talked about that. We don't have to go down that right now. You're baiting me, John DeSantiago. <laughs> I am. <clears throat> Um, and then the guy says, he says, earlier I said the version is almost completely written in Go. One exception is our cluster manager, which may seem a little odd as Kubernetes and other types of cluster orchestration applications are the most common usage for Go. But the team that owns the server service felt more comfortable using Java. It's important to let their own, let teams, um, allow teams their own components. You can't force things they don't want to do. So does that mean they have to build a... But I wonder what they chose. What, what... I mean, because even the Java projects I use that, that um, you know, do containers and, and Kubernetes in particular, um, they, they use Kubernetes. They don't, I don't, they don't use a, I don't know, I guess there's plenty of like Java-based um, container management things. It's just, I don't I couldn't even name one. Hmm. I mean, Java has a bad reputation in the container space in general, just because until relatively recently, it was, there's all these kind of tricky things to get the JVM to behave in a way that is suitable for containers. So. Oh, maybe weird. that's, maybe that's why they put a huge investment in, in their container. And that, that could be, that's a lot to, to unravel. Yeah. It's, and it's also weird to, for a team that went from Python to go say, Oh, we want to use Java for our container orchestration. Like it wasn't even a Java project. It was a Python project for the most part. So well, I, I, 
I thought they were saying that they didn't control the container, that they, where it goes, that another team controlled that. No, no, they're saying that the Einstein Analytics team, it was they, they, you know, it's their choice. Instead of choosing Kubernetes, they chose some kind of Java orchestration thing. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Which they didn't name, so I don't know if they built something, hmm. or if it's just some other, you know, open source Java orchestration thing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Um, well, John, I can just keep going, man. I can keep dominating. We've been actually been covering some of the stuff that I've had. Mm. Um, I had some throwaway stuff like, uh, let's see, UK finally clearing uh, Tableau. So you guys will get all the marketing on Tableau. Uh, it's, I think there's still some regulatory oh, red so that, tape. So that they receive the check? They've had the check. Okay. But now they can actually start talking as if they're one. There's still some other regulatory stuff happening around how the payment was made and the interaction of the payment mm. and whether or not that violates any kind of uh, antitrust. But um, at least they got the approval to say, yes, they can integrate. And which means you'll get to hear about all about Tableau at Dreamforce. Cool. Um, the other one was, let's see. Do we have a name for that yet? Is that going to be? Um, I'm sure it's still going to be Tableau. Tableau. Yeah. Just like MuleSoft is still MuleSoft. Um, do really they've, they've, they've regressed back to MuleSoft because I mean, right after they announced the acquisition, it was, was that, I think that was TDX. Um, it was TDX. They immediately on the, all the slides for the, uh, the, uh, the big keynotes, everything it was called the integration cloud. I guess, they, I guess they've dialed that one back, huh? Back to I, MuleSoft. You know, was that right before TDX? It was at, yes, because at TDX. Because I did a, a boot camp and I got to talk to all those guys and they were talking like, you know, at least for the near future, they were going to maintain independence. They were going to still be MuleSoft and they weren't going to really integrate the, the product yeah. like that. Um, and the, that the, it was this advantageous was a, for them. John, this was a away. slide at a keynote, yeah. it's, which has no bearing on any reality whatsoever. If you are actually someone who goes to keynotes and sees those <laughs> and then actually uses Salesforce's products. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. It was a slide on the keynote, but then oh, they in their in their big circle of their clouds, right? That they were, you know, they like to show that shows how they just, you know, they can control your whole enterprise. Um, one one of them was uh, the integration cloud. That's what they were calling MuleSoft. Yeah. Uh, the other one of my topics is we didn't talk about uh, Bob Stutz. 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 Bob Stutz. Stutz. See that? Um, uh, marketing cloud CEO. So he left and went to SAP. And uh, let's see, Adam Blitzer has taken over as CEO of Marketing Cloud. Hmm. Cool. So he came over from uh, and if, Pardot, exact, and from Pardot you, to Exact Target to Salesforce. And if, if this gig doesn't work out for Mr. Blitzer, he's he always has a career waiting for him as a defensive coordinator for a football team. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of those name overlaps. Uh, sports ball joke. Sorry. Yep. Uh, sorry if I just triggered anyone. Yeah. Oh, and, and my last little kind of throwaway was uh, Salesforce's Halloween party. There was pictures of it. Oh. Uh, nice. Which I thought was odd because I, it's one of those things where I got to think it's very stressful to try to pick a costume at a company like Salesforce because obviously you have to be very careful about oh my not God. offending Can you imagine? anybody. So it looks like the way they got around it was, A, they picked something like cupcakes. They dressed up as cupcakes. Um, and they did a lot of group costumes. But what, John, what about, I think what kind of helps. What about all the people who are gluten intolerant? Oh, it was a Halloween <laughs> cupcake party. People dressed up cupcakes. And yeah, they were. Well, I suppose it could be you can dress up as a gluten free cupcake. That's true. So you don't That's trigger anyone. That's the thing. Um, we had mustachioed people. Wait, wait, what? Mustachioed people. Mustachioed? Mustachioed. What I does that mean? I don't know. They just had glasses and mustaches. I don't know what they were trying to be, but that's that was one of the costumes that the, the Salesforce concierge. 
I didn't know that there's a thing called within Salesforce called the concierge, but apparently it's the group that manages their internal search engine. So I guess like if you need to figure out how to do something or whatever with the product or company in general, you go to the concierge. No, oh, I mean, you just got a global search. Google? No, oh, right and sell it. Log in Salesforce, you got a global search. Uh, I think it's separate from that. Oh. It's one of those black box tools we don't, none of us have access okay. to. Uh, yeah. And uh, some cats. Some a group of cats, a herd of cats. What do you call a herd of cats? Oh, I don't know. Like a gaggle? <laughs> Maybe it's just a herd. I don't, I don't know if there is a plural name for or What's that? A clouder. A clouder of oh, cats? a clouder. That's wow. so fitting, isn't it? It is. <laughs> a group of cats is called a clouder. It can also be called a glaring, particularly if the cats are uncertain of each other. Glaring. Cats are always uncertain of each other. That's just cats. <laughs> Uh, a litter of kittens is also called a Kindle. Wow. <laughs> Just don't use them as kindling. Yeah. Don't try to read them. <laughs> I don't know. That was wow. like this, this is this is like this show's devolving into horrible dad jokes. Uh, I did have a follow up. Uh, you remember last week I talked about how I wish that the. <laughs> <laughs> You okay, John? <laughs> that was me attempting to get words out. <laughs> okay. Force source uh, pool uh, just did a full diff and tried to pull every difference from your org, and I didn't have a way of kind of pulling. And it seems obvious now, but uh, friend of the show Shane Mc McLaughlin, yeah, yep, uh, married to famous famous singer Sarah McLaughlin, right? Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of cats yep. and you know poor animals in need, uh, he said he recommended using a source retrieve. And I was like, yeah. Well, that's what, so that, okay. A couple of things. Well, number one, that, that, that does use the different API completely. uses the metadata API and it's relatively new. Yeah. So it's not like this has been around forever and you just didn't know what you were doing. Oh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. I like that out. Um, or you can do just what I've always done, which is just, um, I just pull, I just do a, the normal pull, which pulls anything that's changed. And if yeah. that, in that I don't want, I back to, oh, call back, do a get checkout and just roll <laughs> you back. You get switch. Roll back no. and... Well, what would it be? It would be a get restore. Okay. Yeah, and any of the change you didn't want, you just roll them back to, you know, whatever the head has. <laughs> Doesn't not everything has to be a joke, John. <laughs> um Hey, there was there was one thing and this I don't know, I'm afraid this is the kind of thing that bores people. I don't know. But it's uh it's interesting. So you know Cory Doctorow? You ever mm -hmm. he's he's one of these um you know, EFF guys, uh all about um like uh, electronic freedom well, of information, yeah, 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 that kind of stuff. Free and, internet, mm -hmm. kind of, kind of. I don't God, I hate to. That's a European thing, right? The EFF. No, like, it's not like it? Frontier Foundation. Yeah, I thought that's that was not. like a European thing. Well, you can think all you want, but no, it's the Electronic Frontier Foundation. I thought the E was for Europe. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, anyway, so he's got this article, and it's about regulating big tech companies because there's you know all these calls to regulate big tech companies. So I wanted to read a couple, a little bit of this. He says uh, these modern trust busters, like, for example, Benioff, are, are operating on the assumption that big tech will dominate in perpetuity and placing upon the incumbents the state. Uh, oh, wait a minute. I can't read this sentence. It's too, it's too, it's, too it's recursive. It's recursive is the problem. Anyway, and placing on the incumbents the state-like duties to police. Oh, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so place on the incumbents of the big tech operators the state-like, like government-like, duties to police bad user activities from fomenting terrorist violence to infringing copyright. Yet this raises a new problem. 
Complying with these rules would be so expensive that only a handful of mostly American companies could actually afford it. This snuffs out any hope of a big incumbent being displaced by a nascent competitor. I agree. That's always been my, my opinion on it. And this goes with back to any with most regulation this in goes, general. This goes back to this is regulatory capture is what yeah. we're talking about. This is this is really more uh, kind of bootleggers and Baptists. Mm-hmm. Um, big. I'm just I just highlighted random sentences. This is definitely worth a read, though. Uh, big tech firms are being handed a prize beyond measure, which is control over what it is, in effect, a planetary species wide electronic nervous system. Uh, the past 12 months have seen a blizzard of new internet regulations that ironically have done more to enshrine big tech's dominance than the decades of lax antitrust enforcement that preceded them. This will have grave consequences for privacy, freedom, and uh, free expression and safety. Anyway, he goes into GDPR explaining how, you know, so, you know, the cost of implementing it, GDPR, has, has meant consolidation in Europe's ad tech market. And the American giants have emerged as clear winners. Hmm. He goes and explain why, and also there's these, there's a whole. Uh, I think there's a couple of different uh, regulations that are. Uh, I guess we passed recently this SESTA and FOSTA. Something about sex trafficking is this is what mm. those are about. But anyway, he says because firms are unable to distinguish between the consensual sex trade and the deplorable activities the law was designed to stop, virtually every online forum where Americans discussed sex work has gone dark. Which he also describes how that has pushed people back into way more dangerous forms of um, yeah, the sex business, basically. Uh, he talked about the EU copyright directive. I don't know much about that, but he's talking about how you know, YouTube's you know, re- relatively modest content ID system costs them $100, billion, or sorry, $100 million to build and maintain with this, and still has ongoing costs. And, and that itself, which is the thing that automatically like, shuts down if they think mm-hmm. you've copied something, he said, and, and that, that, that still is insufficient to satisfy that EU copyright directive um, regulation. Wow. So, I mean, who can, I mean, yeah, who, 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 can, who can afford it, right? Yeah. And then the, the Australian government, long a breeding ground for questionable internet regulation, hastily passed a rule requiring platforms to remove, quote, terrorist, unquote, content within an hour of notification. Uh, and then France's uh, cyber watchdog thing, so it demanded removal of more than 15 million documents from the servers at the Internet Archive in California. This included the Gutenberg Project's public domain books and the Internet Archive's legendary collection of Grateful Dead recordings. The archive was given 24 hours to comply, uh, which would be reduced to just a single hour if the EU's terror regulation gets approved. Why? I don't know, but I mean the point is that you know the, the, the just the cost of this the cost of doing this is what's it's what's so prohibitive. Yeah. Uh, and then he says, you know, shaving a few hundred million dollars off a company's quarterly earnings to pay for compliance is a bargain in exchange for a world in which they need not fear a rival growing large enough to compete with them. Yeah. And, and he really summarizes the, I mean, what he's getting to really is that this is really going to kill competition and really competition is what we, and interoperability too, he talks about interoperable, uh, we need, we need, if anything, legislation to allow, to force some of these systems to be interoperable. Like he's talking about like a, a Facebook thing that, that allows you, you know, to um, to have some other tool that you know pulls all you like pulls your Facebook feed down, and you can and you can read it, you know, using a different tool versus Facebook, you know, using their algorithm to pick and choose what they show you from your actual news news feed. Yeah, I guess there's a, there's a new emerging market for kind of distributed data, especially with cloud services and being a, and being locked into a single vendor. I think I think the push is to try to get blockchain to solve that need, but essentially your data would exist in multiple places. 
um, obviously and maintain its integrity across those those different locations so that you have access to it from different locations. Yeah, and that um, <clears throat> that it's conceptually, I think, kind of makes sense. But you know, yeah. getting people to agree on us and having a, st- a standardized data format that that is sufficient for all these different things. How, how would you agree on that or yeah. even architect that? And it's, you know, so you could put some consortium together and then, you know, you, you draft some, some version of it. And then as soon as it gets out there, it's, you know, you're going to find just all the things you got wrong. Yeah. Right. With the data model. So. And you'll just end up with HTTP post and get and yeah. delete. And <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> There's one thing. Oh, I've got a little quiz for you, John. Oh, Sorry. Yeah. This is, I know this is going to, this is going to end up being a long show. Um, there is a, okay, so you know when you do a, dis, a describe call, like uh, let's say on an S object, mm-hmm. and one of the things you get is an array of these field describes or whatever too, which for each field says whether, you know, is this an ID field? Is this a, right? is this nillable? Is it whatever, all that kind of stuff. Um, what is, what is, this is a quiz, okay. What is the name of the of the property of a field that returns true if the field can have multiple types of objects as parents? For example, a task can have both a contact ID or a lead ID, and the opportunity, or you got the what ID, right? So those are, this can have different types of parents. So we've called those polymorphic yeah. keys before, right? But yes. what is what is the name when you do a when you're looking at the the, the, the a field that's part of a describe? What is it? Is it would it be like I don't know? You think like is polymorphic? No, that's not what it is. But what is it, John? What's that called? I, I could have told you because I looked at it about a week ago and I saw that because I was trying to inspect all that. You'll have to tell me. You give up? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's called is name pointing. Yep, that's what it is. Is name yep. pointing. Yep. Now, either that's named unbelievably bad or I just don't understand. What am I missing here about that? What does that mean? Well, I think what it is is there is an index table for names that it uses to kind of Whenever you do an ID and you get a name, like on the interface, because you have all these references fields, I wonder if it's that's where it's getting that reference. That's the way I logically rationalize that. With it's, it's name pointing because it has an index in that name table where you can do ID name. You completely lost me. So maybe I just maybe I just don't understand this. I thought I just thought, man, that's that's the worst name for that. <laughs> <laughs> that that was how I rationalized it. I'm not saying that is it, and I'm not saying that's a valid thing, but that's how I rationalize it because there is a. There is the concept of a name object in Salesforce that holds all the references. And I believe that object is there for performance so that whenever it displays all your references for a given object, let's say account and owner, all it has to do is hop over to the index table to get the name so yeah. it can display it on the screen. It's not having to go to the actual object and run through security and all that kind of stuff. So this, this sounds like the, they, whoever named this, like it was obviously someone at Salesforce that knows that underlying yeah. mechanism because us as just lowly Salesforce developers, we don't, we don't know. I, I don't know what that's, I mean, I don't know how that's implemented or yeah. what those tables are called or anything. So this name means nothing to me. Anyway, found that interesting. Okay. I have a final thing and then we can either wrap up or whatever. Um, but this is, uh, have you heard of this thing where like celebrities or sports celebrities, whatever will read mean tweets like, you know, the, yeah. okay. We kind of have a version of that. Um, a little bit. It, it's, I, I found this in the Salesforce subreddit and, and actually what it was, was, um, if you could ask a Salesforce executive anything, what would you ask them? Mm-hmm. And so I just so thought it w- I'd read some of these. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and these are in the order that they were in, in the post. Okay. First one, who killed Jeffrey Epstein? <laughs> and of course the answer was Benioff. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's because it's funny. Um, 
Why is your service and account managers nowhere near the level of skill, knowledge, or help as your sales teams? Why is your product more important than your service? The sales teams are more knowledgeable? Yes, I guess because they're good at selling. And the answer was, that someone provided was, because they hire pretty boy frat boys and pretty sorority girls who know how to schmooze. Okay. I don't, I, yeah, John's miming to me. In the, I'm not, <laughs> um, is clicks not code really a sustainable design philosophy, or is it just so that employers can get away with hiring lesser paid admins instead of developers? Yes. Okay. Uh, why the hell don't you finish anything before going on to the next flashy thing? So many half-thought-out things with limitations that just frustrate. Just got to keep growing, baby. Yeah, okay. Got to get that stock um, up. Why the F does it take years to implement a good idea from the community? Quote, this will be included in future releases. Quote, last updated eight years ago. Also, why the effing F can we not just add a subheader to the page layout? What the F? Subheader? <laughs> a, they, I, don't, I can't remember if they were talking about a community or what. A sub header to the page layout page layouts i don't know i don't know that person was obviously as uh, issues or quite frustrated <laughs> why hasn't the apex language ever been improved updated modernized or replaced and then someone said or burned thrown away or exercised the like la the <laughs> apex language yeah uh, why is lightning worse than classic why is, is my it, why is it worse depends on who you ask john I th you know I've been seeing a flood of articles on how lightning is the greatest thing ever. Oh, it always has to be switching over yeah. to it. Why is my trailhead so bad? I don't think the trailhead's bad. My, my trailhead. Oh, yeah. Um, why in God's name is process builder not bulkified? And do you actually expect anyone to use that garbage over Apex code? It's it's bulkified light. Okay. It's it's bulk bulk capable. <laughs> you should get in and answer these, John. Um, why is marketing cloud one of your top platforms, but it is buggy as sh because it's built on microsoft technologies <laughs> it could be could be i think it, it is because it was it runs on windows yeah <laughs> uh how much money do you have on you right now and can i have all of it <laughs> that's a question to benny off yeah um yeah anyway there, there's others those are just some they were pretty much, I mean, this was, I didn't, I didn't right even, now? I didn't can, even, can I have it? I have like $22. I'll take it. <laughs> I'm sure you would. <laughs> anyway. All right, John. Well, we've mentioned our community and some of the uh, really interesting discussions that happens there, ha that happen there. And uh, dear listener, if you have not joined our community, you should probably just at least check it out. Um, you do that by going to gooddayserpodcast.com and you just click on community and I think you can. You just put your email address in. Some things have changed. I think it's what people, existing members can add new ones now. They can request them to be added. There's there's new things here. But anyway, that's still, that yeah. still works. You can still go there, put in your email address, and John will add you. Yep. Um, and we also, in addition to just uh, having interesting conversations, we also coordinate for uh, conferences that happen all over the country and the, over the world, really. Um, there will be a lot of Dreamforce coordination, I'm sure, that will be happening there. So if you... Uh, Want to be involved in that and potentially meet up with some people or whatever? That's um, or or find Jeremy for a sticker. That's true. I will. Uh, I'll probably post there on where stickers can be found. There you go. Just leave a stack behind everywhere you go. Just that's like true, a little yeah. breadcrumb. Right. <laughs> you, you follow the follow the stickers. You'll just, just like find me on the back of one of them. Just put the date and time that you were there and yeah. leave it there, and that way people can follow wherever you were. Um, we also um, have a very sad and lonely and empty inbox known as info at gooddayserpodcast.com where uh, you can email us questions or topics 
or complaints. The complaints go right into the recycle bin. The no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we well, I read them first. That's I, true. I yeah, cry for a bit, and then they go in the recycle bin. Um, but now you guys need to get at us on this in, on this email address thing. Um, we need to get more emails. And so I know there's a lot, tons of people right now who are thinking, well, I've been thinking about asking them this thing or whatever. Just send send the email. When I mean, it saves us from having to do so much work, you know, prepping, trying to find topics for the show. Because we suck at it. Okay. No. I, I thought that today was a good show. I'm okay. Our energy fine. level was up. It is, is an improvement over the last. But we need weeks. we need we need to get more emails. So you guys, please get at us. And the other thing is the most important. Uh, well, not most important. So there's a whole review thing. We mm-hmm. like getting reviews. They help uh, more people find the show, which is good because. Plus, I pay twenty bucks a month at that. Right, if I can for, guilt you into yeah. to writing a review. But really, the most important thing is actually just you've got to just tell tell your friends, your coworkers, all that kind of thing uh, about the show and. Uh, and subscribe to it in your pod catcher of choice. How was that, John? That was good. Okay. You did a good job. I'm going to give you a hand. That was not even rehearsed, but I've done it. Well, I, considering I do it every week, it's pretty rehearsed, I guess. No, you're good at it. I, I would stumble over every word because I, I don't have the practice that you do. You know, <laughs> one of these days, I also want to, um, I kind of had this just as a, as a potential future topic, abstract future topic, but some of these, um, like Apex, uh, I guess, libraries that people have mm-hmm. that are on GitHub, like doing kind of a breakdown or comparison of some of these. And, and really find out, like, I don't even know if you, if you use any of these. What do you think? Everything from uh, some, of the, some of the OG stuff. What was, um, like, the Financial Force? They published a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. there's, there's all kinds of stuff out there now that the people have shared. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should talk about those one day. And still one day, I want to have this elusive ISV slash packaging show, which, oh, oh, yeah. which I think is a secret. Sorry. Never mind. Okay. That was a rewind. What was it you just said? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's it. I have nothing else, John. Well, to that, no. <clears throat> I want to say it properly. And to that, I say good day, sir. Oh, man. You get nothing. You lose Good day, sir!